I am really enjoying these altar stories, these stories from the altar. I hope you are too. Um, and, and I hope that you realize that Jesus, he is our altar. And all these different facets, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom, Moses, Joshua, all these stories, uh, David, they're, they're all various facets of our prayer life with Jesus. They, they all show a side and a characteristic of the Lord. So I hope that you're taking these and applying them to your own prayer life, that you're acting on what you're hearing because God wants to open up the altar in your life. And I'll say this before I get into the, this morning's story, is that, uh, that he wants to open up collective um, uh, corporate prayer. I learned how to pray by praying with other people. Before I got saved, I had never uttered a prayer in my life, and so it was being around other believers and praying with them that I learned how to pray. Right, Bonnie? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, this morning, this morning's story from the altar is about Jacob and the altar named El Bethel. And uh, it's an altar of restoration and transformation. And it's an altar that God works through as we revisit it throughout our lifetime. It's not a one-time shot and you're uh, reoriented and transformed for life. It's It's a lifetime revisiting this altar. Now, before we get into the story of Jacob's life, and there is a lot in his story, I can only share some of it, that is just wonderful. And you should open up Genesis, read all the chapters about Jacob. You'll find so many things that you can relate to about your life. But let's begin with Jacob's name. Jacob was one of two brothers. Uh, They were twins, Esau and Jacob. Now we all say Jacob and Esau because Jacob is the one that the blessing came upon. But the reality is, is he was not the first one out of the womb, but the second. As Esau is coming out of the womb, Jacob, the little baby Jacob, reaches up and grabs the heel of his brother as he's being born. I, I can't even think of giving birth, you know, much less think of there's a little fight going on in your womb right there while you're being born. Um, but they named him, as a result of this, they named him Jacob. Which we, we say Jacob, but back in the Hebrew tongue, what they said was subplanter subplanter. If you don't know what a subplanter is, a subplanter is someone who forcefully takes another's place away from them through scheming. And so oftentimes you'll hear that Jacob's name means deceiver or robber, but it literally means subplanter, someone who takes the place of another person by scheming and does it forcefully. So Jacob was that from his very birth. He was a subplanter. He lived up to his name uh, right there in the birth experience. There he was hanging on to his brother's foot, trying to drag him back and get out ahead of him. And that was Jacob. It was his personality. But there was something else inside of Jacob, and God was going to bring it out. Hallelujah. The very first encounter of seven throughout his life that Jacob had with God is recorded in Genesis chapter 28. 
You know the story that leads up to this. Many of you have heard it. How that Esau, his older brother, sold his birthright to Jacob for a, a pot of stew. Esau was a big, uh, uh, masculine, uh, alpha male hunter, and he would have been really hated in today's woke culture. He's exactly what they can't stand. Um, but at any rate, that was Esau, and he was out hunting, and he comes home, and he's starving, and Jacob is, Jacob's cooking. He's probably cooking and then hanging some drapes and, you know, maybe, you know, tending the garden flowers or something. So he's got this stew, Jacob does, and his brother comes up to him, and he says, man, I'm starving. Can I get a bowl of that? He said, hmm, the subplanter kicks in. He says, I'll tell you what, he sees his brother's hungry. He said, would you be willing to trade something for you? He says, yeah, sure, yeah, what do you want? He said, how about the birthright? You know, the firstborn gets the blessing of the father. Now, the blessing of, e uh, the blessing of Isaac, their father, came from Abraham, and that blessing was the blessing God gave to Abraham. Abraham gave it to Isaac. Isaac is going to give it to his firstborn, and it's going to go down through the lineage. It's literally the covenant, the blood covenant of God, the blessing. So um, he says, give that to me. Give me the firstborn. And uh, Esau goes, yeah, man, I'm hungry. Whatever, sure, take it. And he grabs the stew. Well, God saw that. God saw it. It mattered to God. And so when it comes time for Isaac to die, Jacob's mother, and this is probably, it was probably a lot like his mother. She was a little bit of a subplanter, and she said, listen, come here, I'll tell you what, what's going to happen. Your, your dad is going to ask for the firstborn to come in so that he can pronounce the blessing on him. He, she said, here's these animal skins, wrap them around your arm, and, uh, you know, put some, put some hair on your hands and everything, and go in when he asks for, for, uh, for Esau. You go in and kneel behind, beside the bed. And he does it. And so Isaac's feeling, and he feels the hairy hands. He says, oh, my son, Esau. And he pronounces the blessing, the blessing he received from Abraham that he had received from God. He gives it to Jacob. Jacob subplants, and he gets out ahead of his brother. So then later in the day, Esau comes in and says, I'm ready for my blessing. He said, what do you mean? I blessed you earlier today. He said, what? And he realizes he's been tricked. He said, Father, he said, that, that little subplanter tricked you. And, and he tricked me. And the blessing was not just a symbolic thing. So Isaac said, I'm sorry. I've given the blessing. The anointing has been transferred. Your brother's got it. And so Esau goes into a rage. He hates his brother. He's envious. And uh, I, uh, um, Jacob's mother says, your brother's out there in the, in the yard. He's walked, pacing up and down talking about killing you. He said, look, he said, she said, go back to my father's country. She lived up near Syria. And uh, go back there and um, your uncle Laban, go find him, he'll, he'll find some work for you, and you'll get a wife up there, go up there. And he says, okay. So she's coaching him to flee uh, from, from Esau. And uh, the, then she goes in, because she's, she's putting together this little uh, ruse, and she says to, uh, 
she says to her dying husband, she says, oh, she said, if my boys marry one of these local Hittite women, I, I'll just die, I'll just die. Please don't let them marry a Hittite woman. So Isaac says, get Jacob in here. Jacob comes in, he says, son, he said, I want you to go home to your mother's family and take a, take a wife for yourself from among your mother's, the daughters of, of your mother's house. So Jacob flees, and you can see the whole thing was a ruse, you know. So, so I just want you to understand that this is how his life as an adult begins. So it is as he is fleeing and he's going up to the land that his mother comes from that he has his first encounter with God as he's fleeing from the wrath of his brother Esau. And he comes to a place that he will later name Bethel. There, he falls asleep, and he has a dream. And he sees heaven open, and a staircase comes down. He sees angels going up and down the staircase. And the Lord God is standing at the head of the staircase, and the Lord God speaks to him. And he says, I am with you wherever you journey in your life. And I swear to you, as I swore to Abraham and to your father Isaac, that you will inherit this land that you have laid your head upon, and that your descendants will spread out to the north, south, east, and west and cover the earth, and the nations of the world will be blessed through them. He wakes up in the morning, and you can read about that in Genesis 28, 15, 12 through 15. And Jacob wakes up, and he says, Oh my God, how awesome and terrible this place is. He says, God is in this place, and I didn't realize it. This is the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So he names it Bethel, which is house of God. <coughs> now, Jacob continues his journey, and but I want you to notice this first encounter is important. He makes a little altar there commemorates the event, names it Bethel, the house of God. He has come to Bethel, fleeing for his life as a schemer running from his past, but he leaves as a man with a future. So Jacob's journey and transformation begins. That's the starting point. And uh, the prophetic forecast that that God gave to him in the dream is not a material fact. You need to grab onto that. He didn't become the things that God said he was just because God said them to him. Rather than a material flat fact, it was, a, it was a forecast given by God about his life. It was God's will. But it needed to bloom over time through Jacob's decisions to obey God as he pursued through life the paths that, that he would take and all the troubles and dangers that he would face. And so this pursuit, this, this lifelong journey um, that God calls him to, it's a path that is found not through signs, but through decisions. 
And you need to know that about your own life. God calls us to a path. And we're not to go looking for circumstances that say, oh, here's a good place to settle. Oh, this looks good. But the path is discovered through the heart decisions that we make along life's way. Jacob does go to Laban and he serves Laban. Many of you know the story that he sees Laban's daughter before he meets Laban and she's gorgeous. Her name's Rachel. She's beautiful. She is the youngest of two sisters. The older one is Leah. And so Jacob goes to Laban and Laban just throws his arms around and welcomes him. Oh, my sister's son, welcome. We're really glad to have you. He says, oh, by the way, I sure would love to marry your daughter. He said, oh, you'd love to marry my daughter? It's fantastic. Yes, of course, I'll, I'll give you my daughter as your wife. He said, uh, but he said, you're going to have to work for me seven years. He said, so seven years labor for me, maintaining my flocks and everything, and then I'll, I'll give you my daughter. So he worked seven years. Some of you know the story. At the end of the seven years, they had the wedding and the bride comes out with the veil and everything. So he's, you know, you can't really see her. And they have the big wedding ceremony. Then they go into the tent, you know, and they're going to have their moment of reveal and intimacy. He flips the veil over and, oh my God, it's Rachel's big ugly sister. <laughs> it's Leah. The Bible says Leah was, uh, well, there's a couple different descriptions, but she was, you know, she wasn't beautiful, but she could have babies. This woman, I mean, she began to produce children for him, cranking them out. That's where, the, that's where 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel came from, were 10 kids. So he's worked seven years, but he's, you know, the, 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 he thinks he's a subplanter. It's all around him. He lives in a world of conniving and subplanting. And so Laban has pulled one over on him. And he, the next morning, he says, what have you done to me? And he confronts Laban. And Laban said, well, I can't really give you the, the second sister. The first one's got to be married first. He said, why did you deceive me? He said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, work for me another seven years, and I'll give you Rachel. Well, he must really love Rachel because he says, all right, man, somebody, he said, I'll tell you what, I feel really bad about this. He said, take her now. So he's married, he's now got two wives. I don't even want to go into that. But, um, so he, he gets Rachel, but he has to work those seven years. During those seven years, Laban has proven to be quite a supplanter himself. He, he, cheats, um, uh, he, he cheats Jacob several times, changes the arrangement of the money, um, he's working now 14 years and he doesn't have any inheritance for himself, has two great women and, and Rachel's barren, she can't have children so he's got a pretty barren one and he's got one not so pretty, lots of kids so um, the, the bottom line is Jacob is spending 14 years and he's going through uh, living in a world of subterfuge, living in a world of of subverting and deception and, and lying. And his name is Subverter and Subplanter. So over time, over these years, Jacob is experiencing the price that's caused and the pain that's caused by the lack of integrity. And he's learning slowly how to value righteousness and how to follow God's voice. And through each of the trials that he handles, 
by obeying God's voice, he's becoming a better man. The years go by and he wants to go home. He wants to leave Laban. He wants to get out from under the arrangement. He's worked 14 years and, and he's basically been used and he has nothing to show for it. I wish I could share the story. Phenomenal story. But God works it out so that he can leave Laban and he leaves a very wealthy and prosperous man with huge herd, huge flocks, lots of children, lots of servants. So God directs Jacob to return to his home in Canaan, in the land of Canaan. And he helps him leave the clutches of Laban as a prosperous man with a huge family and household. Now, the next event that happens, he has another encounter with God. And he, this is the one where he wrestles with the angel of God. Before I tell this quick story, I want you to know that despite, despite Jacob's flawed tendencies, he has within himself a reverence for God. Right back at the time of the porridge incident, he could have asked for money. What did he ask for? I want the birthright, which, which means... I will be the man of God. And so he's got this reverence for God in spite of all of his flaws. And, um, and through this reverence for God and all of his trying encounters, the reverence for God ends up continually putting him on a higher path, even though the road he's on is filled with trials and troubles. You know, God's path doesn't always travel on a road with no trouble. God's path is often overlaid over a road filled with trouble and subterfuge. So at any rate, in Genesis 32, Jacob and his, his huge family and his, his flocks and his people re-enter Canaan. And when he comes across the border into Canaan, he sees a bunch of angels. He goes into Canaan. There's angels in the land. Now, not everybody sees these angels. He sees them. There's something about him, and he sees these angels. So he settles down, and one night he goes to sleep, and an angel comes and wrestles with him all night long. Now, I can't explain all these things. I just take them uh, as they are, but the Bible says this man, this angel, wrestled with Jacob all night long. As the dawn began to break, the angel says to Jacob, I've got to go. You have to release me. But Jacob says to the angel, I won't let you go until you bless me. He wants that blessing. Remember, he did everything he could to get it from Isaac, and he still wants it. He wants that blessing. So he's, he's resting. The angel, says, the angel says, all right, all right. Here's the blessing. And it comes in the form of a question. What is your name? Now, I want you to picture Immediately when he calls his attention, the angel does to his name, he knows my name is Subplanter. I've been living in a world filled with subterfuge. I'm a part of it. I move through it like a duck moves through water. It's, uh, it's my way and it's the way of all the people around me. And you know, when, when we were kids and we would wrestle and fight and you wanted to, we call it tapping out back then, we'd call it cry uncle. If you cried uncle, I give, uncle, the fight would be over. The, the 
the, uh, the conflict would end and you'd be released, you'd be free. So he's wrestling with the angel. And the angel says, I've got to go. And he says, you've got to bless me first. So the angel makes him cry uncle. The angel says, what is your name? And Jacob says, my name is Subplanter. And then once he admits what he is to the angel of God, the angel says to him, no longer will your name be Jacob, the angel told him, but Israel, he who rules with God, because you have fought with God and with men and have prevailed. So what is the blessing? He asked him, what's your name? Subplanter. Your name is going to change. And there's a prophetic message. The only reason why we would change your name is because you're going to change. You're going to need a new name. You're going to be a different man. So I need to give you, we can't have you going through life being called, you know, tricker, cheater, subplanter. Now notice, this is the angel talking. This is not God, this is the angel. And the angel uses the word will. There's a futuristic property to this prophecy. He doesn't say you are Israel. He said you will be. Your name will change. And so he hides this in his heart. No longer will you be called Jacob. Jacob and his family travel on. They're in Canaan and they settle in a town called Shechem. And in that place uh, of Shechem, they begin to, to have communion and fellowship and business with the men of Shechem and the people of Shechem. And the prince of Shechem um, molests Jacob's daughter, Dinah, rapes her. And so, of course, they are now at the point of war. Jacob, Jacob goes to the king of Shechem. The, the, his son has raped his daughter. And they, they work out a deal. And they work out a deal to form a covenant between them. Rather than go to, well, let's form a covenant. We'll work together. We'll share together. And you give your daughters to us, and we'll give our daughters to you, and we'll mingle, we'll bless, we'll be one. So they see a, a business opportunity of unity coming out of it. And Jacob says, there's only one thing. You know, we are covenant people with God, and the sign of the covenant is all the males are circumcised. So you and your son and every one of the male Shechemites, I, I'm guessing that's probably what they call them, um, are going to have to be circumcised. And they talk it over. The, the father and the son go back to all the elders. They talk it over and they say, all right, yeah, sure, we'll do that. And so they all go, go get circumcised. Again, I'm not going to get into it. But there's a number of days of pain involved and healing process, while they're in the middle of the days of pain and healing, a couple of Jacob's sons, again, you can see the subterfuge, the lying, the deception, get their swords, go into the village of Shechem, into the town, and kill every man, every male. Kill them all. Jacob says, what have you done? You have made my name a pariah. You have made me a stench in the nostrils of the people of Canaan. And he, once again, because of subterfuge, because of subplanting, he has to flee. He hasn't sinned, but his sons 
have sinned. So he now has to pick up and run again. So Jacob's journeys, again, down this road of all of these disasters and problems, he must flee once again. God speaks to him and he says, go back to Bethel where you had the dream. Go back there. And this time, and God says to him, this time go back and build an altar. Build a proper altar. Erect an altar. And I want you to live there. Hallelujah. So Jacob, realizing that now his sons and, and his servants, families are all going to go back to the place where he first met God and, and live there. And they're going to erect an altar. He realizes that they have to prepare. They're going to go into the presence of God. They have to prepare. So he orders them all to throw out their idols. Now this may, this may sound amazing to you. You're thinking, well, he's following God. What are they doing with idols? But they did. Apparently, they had all these idols and idol trinkets and idol earrings and, and idol clothes and everything. And so he says, we've got to clean up. We're going to be we're going to go and meet with God. And so they collect together all of their idols. And they put them all together, burn them, and destroy them. And they go to Bethel. Now I want to make it stop for a moment and make a point. Through these years, though God was with Jacob, there was a certain level of compromise that God tolerated. I hope you're beginning to see God meets him, he says, I am with you. And God was with him. But there was a lot of bad behavior, a lot of double dealing, idol worshiping. God tolerated. And, and Jacob tolerated as he goes along through his life with God. But now they're about to approach God and their relationship is going to become closer and now it's time for God to work more powerfully in Jacob's life. So guess what? They need to forsake their idols. And so you and I, some of us have been Christians for years and we along with God have tolerated certain level of compromise in our life. But God says it's come to the time where I want to work more powerfully in your life. Don't make the mistake of saying, well, just because God said he wants to do a greater work in me, everything stays the same. God's just going to do a greater work. We must always match God's call with our zealous obedience. The reason why we don't see more of God moving in our life is because God keeps speaking to us along the way, but we don't change. We assume that when he called us, we were fine or he wouldn't have called us. Do you hear what I'm saying to you this morning? James 4.8 says, come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. So when God wants to do a greater work in your life, what do you have to do? You need to look around and say, where is their sin? Where is their compromise? Where is my loyalty divided between God and the world. I need to what? Make room for more of God in my life. And you don't get more of God in your life any other way than what Terry was talking about in his testimony. You make time. You make a place. 
tarry through very adverse circumstances, painful circumstances, limiting circumstances, was forced into a position where he had to make time for God. I hope you heard that this morning, and I hope you hear what happened in Jacob's life, because God may be speaking to you today. So he goes back to Bethel, and God appears again to Jacob and officially renames him. Now remember the angel of the Lord said, your, your name will be changed, but now it's time to change his name. And he, and he falls asleep, and God comes to him in a dream and speaks to him. And God said, Genesis 35, 10, your name is Jacob, but your name will no longer be called Jacob. Israel, a prince with God, someone who fights and contends with God and, and, and fights with God, Israel will be your name. And so God renamed him Israel. And that moment he had hit a certain level of critical mass. But you need to understand all that it took to get to that place. The story goes on. So after God speaks to him and tells him, I'm going to now have you re change all your business cards, go to the DMV, get your license changed. You're no longer Jacob, the subplanter. You are Israel, the prince with God. He wakes up, and you know what he does? He decides to rename the altar. He decides to rename Bethel. What did Bethel mean? House of God. When he had his first vision, he said, this is the house of God. This is the, this is the doorway to heaven. He now changes the name because his revelation, his faith has matured and he's got a different perspective. He changes it now to El Bethel. El Bethel isn't house of God. It's the God of the house. The God of of the house of God. Christians lose power because they become consumed with the house of God. They change their behavior when they get in the house of God. They think things are going to be fine because they're in the house of God. But Jacob has gone through years of trial and years of, of painstakingly adjusting himself to what God says. And now he's come to the place where his faith has changed. His faith is no longer in a place, but in a person. Christian, listen to me this morning. Stop seeking a place. I want God to put me in a place where things are good. I want God to put me in a place where I've got peace. I want God to put me in a place where I'm prospering. I want God to put me in a place where the ministry he's called me to is. We keep looking for a place. We keep looking for a place where God is. He finally realized it's not about a place. It's about a person. The place doesn't bless you. The person blesses you. Are you listening to me? God blesses me, Jacob said. So I'm changing the name of this right now. This is El Bethel, the God of the house of God. Hallelujah. Jacob's encounters with God, those encounters, 
He ends up through his life having seven of them. Those encounters with God, they are the transformative experiences in Jacob's journey through life. Not his experience, but his submission to God are what cause him to shed the poisons of his nature and allow that buried reverence for God to bloom and mature into a new man. Not instantly, not because God said it, but through the process of obeying the word of God, following God, obeying him. You see, we transform not because we get experience. We transform because through our experiences, we obey God. Are you obeying God in the experiences that you're going through? Or are you just getting older, collecting experiences? 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says, All of us with revealed, unveiled faces, reflecting the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord, who is the Holy Spirit. So what transforms us? is God, not our experiences, but God himself. There are a number of other encounters that Jacob had with the Lord. These are the only ones that I want to share with you, but I want to close with this thought. Hundreds of years after Jacob died, the Jews had an annual ritualistic celebration where every year they would go to Bethel. Bethel was known. If you were in the Jewish culture, you knew Bethel. And you associated it with a place of transformation and renewal. And so every year, the Jews would make the journey, the pilgrimage, to the place of transformation. They went to Bethel. However, year after year, they kept going to Bethel, but they didn't live the life that Jacob lived. They didn't obey God. They went to Bethel, left the same way they came. Just like we go to church every week and leave the same way we came. Are you listening to me? This is supposed to be a positive message. I hope I'm not bumming anybody out here. But sometimes to be blessed, the truth has to hit home. Can you say amen? So the prophet Amos, hundreds and hundreds of years after Jacob's died, and this habit of going to Bethel every year, the prophet Amos, God gets a hold of him, and he stands up and he prophesies to Israel. He said, stop going to Bethel and start coming to me, says the Lord. You believe that? That's actually in the Bible. Amos chapter uh, 5, verses 4 through 12. Come to me, but don't go to Bethel. Why? Because you've turned going to Bethel into a religious vacation. You're simply coming, celebrating transformation, but you are not living the life of a transformed person. You're not obeying me. You're just simply celebrating a man's obedience to me and the experience that I gave him hundreds of years before. Listen. Jesus has done tremendous things for us. He has left us a great heritage. 
coming to church isn't about celebrating what Jesus has done. Because that's not going to change you. It's not going to change anybody. It's entering in to what Jesus has done by walking that walk with him, by obeying him, by living with him. So God is saying, come to me. Stop coming to church. Come to me. Now, he's not saying, stop coming to church. But what is he saying? Stop coming ritualistically. It's El Bethel. Not Bethel. My closing comment is this. Many believers have a reverence for God, but never walk through the process of submission that produces real transformation. But those, those of you, those of you who are obedient and go the distance from Bethel to El Bethel, God is waiting there to rename you one who wars for God. God is wanting to raise you up as spiritual warriors. And you must go from Bethel to El Bethel. And that's my altar story surrounding the life of Jacob for you this morning. And I hope the Lord speaks to your heart through it. Amen? Praise the Lord. I'd like you to stand and meet me down here. Uh, we named our prayer table. This is not a petition table. This is not a laundry list table. We named it Jehovah Jireh. If you'll remember, I think it was the first story from the altar about Abraham, what Jehovah Jireh means, in the mountain of the Lord, where I bring my Isaac and lay him on the altar before God. God exchanges Jesus for my Isaac. And so we consecrated this table and asked people, we provide these cards in the back, by the way. You can update yourself anytime. Um, to take the cards, in them is two three by five cards. Write the thing that is on your heart that could be more than one that you really believe God wants you to pursue, the desire, the prayer that you have. And also, is there an Isaac God's calling you to lay on the altar? A step of obedience, and you, you want the help of the Holy Spirit to make that step. That's your Isaac. Write it on the card. No one is going to read these. They're yours and God's alone.